Hey guys, welcome to the album collection. We are talking Keith Urban's self-titled debut album, Keith Urban. So Emily, the reason I chose this one is Keith's kind of been that guy throughout the years that his music, he continues to stay with it. He's relevant now as he was 20 years ago, similar to Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney. So I really wanted to go back and listen to his first album and kind of compare what does this sound like compared to the music he's making now and the music of today. So that was the the main reason, but I'm curious what your initial thoughts on the album are. It's very unlike the Keith Urban we know today. How so? Um, I, I feel like, and maybe that just comes with time, but there's songs and he puts his own Keith Urban touched on it. Like I feel like him and even Brad Paisley, they have this magic with their guitars and you can be like, Oh yeah. Without even hearing it sounds like a Keith Urban guitar solo or it sounds like a Brad Paisley guitar solo. So we didn't have much electric guitar in this album. I actually wrote That's down nice tons of fiddle. <laughs> there was a lot of fiddle. Um, it felt very country, which is funny because People usually uh, associate Keith Urban with being a little bit more pop country when he first started compared to what Kenny Chesney and Tim McGraw were doing at the time. So this album just wasn't Keith yet. Um, Some people have really great first albums that I think um, will follow them throughout their career. But I don't know if this was it. And also because he had a different producer on it. Dan Hoff produces all the rest of his albums. And I don't know who produced this one, but it just felt a little different. It was Cowboy Keith Urban. It is. I not that I'm completely disagreeing with you because I do. I, it doesn't. This album doesn't sound like. It's so weird because it sounds different, but at the same time, if you were to take all a couple hundreds of Keith Urban songs over the last twenty years and shuffle them and play them. I don't know that individually some of these songs would stand out as like, oh, that's weird because I feel like he's got this, he's got a little bit of timelessness with his music and maybe it's more of some of the recent stuff or, you know, the follow-up albums, but uh, I felt like it, it sounds more country. Like, is like you said, it's cowboy Keith. Yeah. But I think considering this came out in what, 99? Yeah. He was kind of, I'm trying to think of, yeah, it was Toby Keith and Brad and George Strait were still coming out, Tim McGraw. I think he was more progressive than some of his contemporaries at the time. With this album, with the songs on this album, you think so? Yeah, let me, uh, hold on for a second. Let me see if I can pull up if you go to Spotify, if you're listening and you're a Spotify user, uh, raised on it. So we have a page and we have all kinds of playlists and we have uh, a playlist for each of the top hits by year. So I'm looking at the year 99 when this album came out. Um, some of the other songs, let's see here. We have uh, Tim McGraw for a little while. Brad Paisley, he didn't have to be. Uh, let's see here. Jody Messina, Lesson and Leaving. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? 
I just feel like even so the next year 2000 is when Rascal Flatts their debut album came out and that was felt very much pushed into the 21st century with their sound and that's what Keith was more of on his next albums so I I feel like this one and I know he was in Nashville but maybe he just brought maybe things just took longer to get to Australia And so he didn't pick up on like the new we're going different direction here in Nashville, Tennessee vibe until I don't know, till later, till he met up with Dan Huff and then they started to create like magic that became Keith Urban. Yeah. And maybe it's kind of the identity crisis some artists have where it's like, was there pressure or hesitancy to go all the way into Keith Urban? We know nowadays, you know, take someone like Florida Georgia Line and Sam Hunt. Those are two acts that ushered in a new sound. And I would argue it, they're their own lane and no one else should really try to touch that lane because they're not going to be as good. Right. So I wonder with this, with the Keith Urban, if he wanted to, but then there was also like, well, you're not a, a, a commodity right now. You know, right. It's, it's, Maybe it was more just a, a feeling out, what the the listeners wanted and maybe what he was comfortable with. You know, maybe the songs here, the four singles, whatever, catapulted onto his next album and maybe saw the direction that he didn't want to go and said, well, what if we just try to be a little more more progressive or, you know, and I think that's maybe what this album did. I don't think it's as different as like the leap from this album to a second one is greater than like some of the other albums we've talked about where Luke Bryan's debut album to his Mm. second one, or even like a TR, like you could, I don't know. Right. Maybe we're just, maybe we're just being the typical us and like a song comes out and one of us is like, I love it. The other one's like, (laughs) what are you doing? Oh, that happens so often. Yeah. True that. True that. So this was, yeah, this Mm -hmm. came out in October 99. And so it's Keith Urban's debut self-titled album in America. But it's often referred to as Keith Urban 2 because in 1991, he released Keith Urban 1 in Australia with a completely different set of songs. And then he was part of The Ranch as the lead singer. And that band released a self-titled album in 97. All different songs, too. So it's like there's these collection, and they're out there. You you can definitely go listen to them. (laughs) Uh, Have your mind really flipped on you. But uh, definitely his breakout album. I mean, four singles, 18, four, three, and a number one hit. So, And like you said, his only album not to be produced by Dan Huff. Yeah. I'm also just, I'm looking at <laughs> the album cover because I like to do that. And first of all, he hasn't aged. He's just a beautiful human being. But I also wonder at the time, people were probably, especially if we think people are bad now about, oh, this is true country or real country. <laughs> can you imagine the time people see this long haired, highlighted Australian with a funny accent, has an earring, has a little soul patch. And he's singing about back Country. roads. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so I think he probably just, first of all, put people on their, their heels a little bit too. So maybe it was good that he started off a little more traditional. 
got his toes wet a little bit. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, and maybe it's a note in here I'll mention, maybe I just saw it in passing, but he was, he was well sought out in Nashville for a while to be, you know, to, to get signed and whatever. So it's like, you know, the Nashville, the, the music row, the business people, like whatever, like they knew, but just because what they think and what they know doesn't uh-huh. necessarily translate into, oh, like you said, country music fans are going to dig this right. Australian-looking guy. So Right. And it's kind of interesting to think that there haven't been more big acts coming from Australia that have hit the, the mainstream in the U.S. You would just think that, I guess it just shows how rare it is because... I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of Australian country artists that like, oh, I want to be Keith Urban when I grow up, blah, blah, blah. But why him? Like, why did it work so well for him and others not? Remind me to send you, this might sound weird, but because I was curious, this was before looking, just some things we can do a raise on it next year. I, I have a spreadsheet of all kinds of Australian country music acts. yeah. There's some really good hidden gems in there, and I'm like, they they could do well at radio, I think. But um, yeah, and it's probably I don't want to say easier, but they can market themselves easier these days. But 20 years ago, you couldn't just you know dial up the internet and be like, oh, Australian country artist, and find who you want. I mean, right? The biggest name since is probably Morgan Evans, right? And he's pretty much that way because he married Kelsey Ballerini. Sure. Part of it, part of it, but that's that's a fair that's a fair yeah. point. So. so, speaking of the songwriters, yeah, there's 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 a great little nugget in here that um, I'll go off on a little tangent. So, I'll all right, talk, talk about the songwriters for the the singles that were released. So, it's a love thing, written by Keith Urban and Monty Powell. Uh, Monty Powell's written a ton of other Keith Urban songs. Days Go By, For You, which was a movie hit. Um, Kiss a Girl, Tonight I Want to Cry. And he's got some other hits, some other cuts. Uh, Diamond Rio's Norma Jean Riley, Chris mm-hmm. Cagle's What a Beautiful Day. Tim McGraw's One of These Days. So Damn. already you're kind of getting a glimpse of like the songwriters on this. And yeah, probably the recognition that this might be an artist you know, to hitch myself. Right. You flip it the other way too, is like, he's the one that is getting these, you know, he's, he's helping their careers. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely. And he's being, yeah, loyal down the line, you know, he's, that's okay. So, this, there's so many interesting pieces of, the, pieces of this. Um, Where the Blacktop Ends, written by Alan Shamblin, and he's, he wrote uh, Mark Will's uh, Don't Laugh at Me, J. Mike's Life's a Dance, and Miranda. J. Mike. I had to think, I'm like, who the hell is J. Mike? <laughs> See, we, right. we called him J. Mike on one of our other podcasts. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, and then he also wrote The House I Built Me by Miranda Lambert. So he's, Alan's one of the co-writers. The other co-writer is none other than Steve Warner. What? Yes. Steve Warner, the, you know. Holes in the Floor of Heaven guy? I'll get there. So, I mean, he's okay. he's had hits in the 70s, 80s, 90s. 
He says he has 13 number ones alone and he writes the it. Seventies. How old is he? What? I thought he was like a young buck in the nineties. No. Okay. What? Anyways, keep going. I'm going to find out how old Steve Ward is. Uh, you, you don't believe me, do you? I don't. Well, I mean, I do, but it just, he was born in 1954. Interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Cause I'm going to get there when I said the seventies, there, there's a, there's an angle here. So anyways, got it. Mainly eighties, nineties. Okay. But well, seventies accounts, I'm getting there. So he's an artist. He's, you know, cranking out these great hits, whatever. But towards the end of the nineties, he had two albums that he released that just didn't do well. Like there wasn't a lot of commercial success around it. And his wife encouraged him to, you know, just, just focus on songwriting. Like maybe, not that we're pushing you out to the pasture or like the sunset, but like maybe it's a you know a good time to you know just do songwriting. So he obliged and he wrote obviously this song, but there's two other songs that he's a co-writer on that blew my mind. He wrote Garth Brooks' Long Neck Bottle. What? Yes. And he wrote Clint Black's Nothing But the Taillight. Interesting. So from the wife to, always knows best, doesn't she? Well, yes. <laughs> so like that, you know, that success as a songwriter, let him be like, okay, maybe it's time for me to, you know, do this artist thing again. So that gave him momentum. He went back in the studio and he cranked out two or three new albums um, on Capitol records. One of the songs on one of those albums was holes in the floor of heaven. Grammy nominated, won ACM okay. song here. Uh, so that, and then the the other one was he ended up re-recording his debut single, I'm Already Taken. So initially that was his debut single in 1978. And it only peaked at like 63. And you fast forward 20 plus years, he re-releases it and it goes to number three. What? So again, um, you know, ton of success, writes a hit for Garth, writes a hit for Clint Black. He writes this one where the blacktop man's for Keith Urban. He's got yeah. three of these and then he's, he gives us some of, you know, his, some of the songs that I know him by. So I just thought it was a cool nugget. Now he's got a second home and a boat and, you know, right. a few cars in the driveway and <laughs> life's good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Like you're trying to think of someone's first hit. Well, not hit because it didn't go far on the charts, but for it to be that popular 20 years later. I mean, now we live in a world where everyone loves 90s music and is like coming back. But I think even five years ago, if you'd be like, okay, let's take a song from the 1980s and let's re-release it. It's not going anywhere on the charts. No. And I, I wish I would have... I haven't, but, you know, released in 78 to early 2000s. I'm assuming they did some production adjustments to it, but... Um, sure, sure. Still I guess that it's, that's impressive. It's gnarly, yeah. Well done. Huh. <laughs> Steve Warner. Other songwriters. Um, but for the grace of God, Keith Urban, he's one of the co-writers. He wrote it with two gals that go by the name Charlotte Caffey and Jane Widelin. And 
I'm not familiar with it, but some of our listeners might, you might. They were both members of the Go-Go's in the 80s. Oh, sure. So You never heard of the Go-Go's? I've I've heard of it. I wouldn't be able to do like recognize them or like hear a song and be like, oh, that's the Go-Go's. That's the Go-Go's. All right. Fair enough. So they wrote that. Um, Interesting. And then his his last single, You're Everything, uh, Bob Regan uh, wrote some songs for Billy Ray Cyrus, Trish Yearwood, and then the other songwriter is Chris Lindsay, who just writes absolute, when we say number ones, I mean, he writes number ones. He wrote Lone Star, Amazed, and Smile, Mark Will's 19-something, and Chris Cagle's I Breathe In, I Breathe Out. So those are the, the songwriters for the four singles released, and that's just a glimpse of, of how well, you know, this, yeah. this, this album is, especially on some of these songs. It's like if maybe the the studio, everyone wanted him to be a success to prove that we didn't just uh, bring him over here or hype him up for nothing. And so right. maybe there was a little bit of an urgency to the album to do well. Yeah, that the, the first project was going to be, they were going to get the, some of the best songwriters, their songs to cut those. So Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as producers go, nothing too notable, and not that I would call this person, you know, not notable. I just, you know, not for uh, His name is Matt Rawlings. Don't know a ton about him. Uh, he's worked with the likes of Clint Black and Billy Joel. He uh, he won a Grammy uh, a couple of years ago with some work he did with Willie Nelson. So uh, he's he's good. So I think you know, but like he said. This is the only one where it's not Dan Huff produced. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Let's see here. Uh, before we get to the singles and stuff like that, um, album review, according to the experts. Yeah. <laughs> three out of five stars on all music from Tham Jurek. Uh, let's see here. He writes, Keith Urban's solo debut for American audiences may seem a bit quaint now that he's become a superstar. So this is not written in the moment. Got it. But back in 97, when the album was released, Urban looked like a fresh-faced kid who was entering the U.S. market as a virtual unknown. Truth is, he made his recording debut in his native Australia in 91 and had been on the radar of Nashville's A&R men for years. This album proves why. There are four urban originals here, each one showcasing his knack for writing in numerous styles that all fit into the expanding country radio format. He could marry a rock tune or pop ballad to a country melody, set it off with just the right amount of heartfelt emotion, and lace it with appropriate production, whether it be playing the banjo or adding strings to the mix. He and the producer selected a mostly winning combination of tunes to fill the remainder of the disc, including It's a Love Thing, but for the grace of God and roller coaster, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> that is funny, actually. Sorry. The, he literally says here the the track is a guitar scorcher from top to bottom. Literally, it, it is only guitar. <laughs> it's an instrumental. Oh, that's yeah, funny. Instrumental. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyways. Uh, <sighs> This and other such moments balance the slick and sometimes too soft production on the, rec- on the record as such. The album marks the true root 
of his sound as a major artist wetting his feet. Like you said earlier. Yeah. Wow. Tom just stealing my words or I'm stealing his. Sorry about that. So did it say when this was um, written, this review? It doesn't. Let me see if I can. I feel like it might've been not too long after it was released. Maybe, maybe after he'd had a few albums, maybe not super recent. Let's see. Because I feel like there would have been more reference to how country music is the last 10 years. But yeah. Um, on the, I'm on all music sites and I'm not seeing like a post date, but like you said, that's probably. All right. Tom. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, it was a decent review, I guess. Yeah. I don't think I agree with everything, but that's all right. So what else you got? Uh, that's the only review I got. Uh, okay. Let's just get to the singles. So yeah, he released uh, in order here. He released "It's a Love Thing" May '99, went to 18. A year later, in May 2000, he releases "You're Everything," which goes to number four. November 2000, he releases "But for the Grace of God," which becomes his first number one hit. And then he finishes the album with uh, "Where the Blacktop Ends" in April of 2001, going all the way to number three. So, based on those four, do you think they do you think he got it right? And just kind of overall judge of the singles. I think so. I think it got him right. It's funny. I listened to the album before I looked to see what the singles were, and of course, it's a love thing. Is the first song on the album. I'm like, oh, this is my hidden gem. This is so good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh shit, it was the first single off the album. Cool. All right. Um, but I think it's kind of funny the order in the of the singles because it's a love thing. Seems very uh country down home. Um, it's fun, it's it's fast paced and stuff. And then the very last single release is where the black top ends, which I think still sounds country, but it's probably more of a, a foreshadowing of what's to come. And like the music that Keith would do. So I think that was kind of appropriate that it was released uh, in the early 2000s instead of 1999. Not that like a year or two makes much difference, but it kind of did with like the acts coming up at the time and stuff. Um, So I think, I think they got it right. I forgot about the song You're Everything. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. Wow. Forgot about that one. Um, Honestly, and we'll get to it later. I don't have many other hidden gems there's a few that I like, but none that I would have bumped over these four. I would agree. I, I think they got it right. I would have been, I feel like it's a love thing. Probably deserve to go higher than 18. It's, it's like you said, it, it would have been your hidden gem. I think it's a good, it's a good debut single, even though it didn't, you know, crack top 10 or anything like that. I, right. It's a great song. I think like, I'm right. Gonna, I agree. You know, it's, it's one You're of You're going to what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to add to my playlist. I'm going to add okay. to my playlist for a while. You know, you kind of forget about some of them, and it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't a top ten or that big of a hit, but it's a good Keith Urban song. Yeah, it is. But I think maybe just the fact that it was the first single, people didn't know the name, probably just kind of got lost a little bit. But yeah. um, let's see here. So, hidden gems. I'll give you that one. We'll count that as an honorable mention. Thank you. What else you got? Um, um, I felt like, I don't want to say they all felt a little sleepy to me, but they all felt a little sleepy. 
I don't know what it was. It just felt very, um, nothing caught my ear too much. Uh, <laughs> the song, You're the One, I really just thought like the Backstreet Boys should have sang or 98 Degrees should have sang. I felt very, uh, maybe more pop-esque. I, the, you're the only one, right? Um, yeah. I have in my notes, nice ballad, boy band-esque. Wow. Well done. So that uh, I kind of liked that one just maybe because I like 90s boy bands and it gave me that sort of sentiment. Could um, the class have done that? I just thought of that. Mm, it's, a little, it's a little too out of their... A little bit. Maybe they could have rascal flats it, you know, put their own spin on it. But yeah, I really just pictured uh, Nick Carter kind of singing it to me, but that's all right. Um, and then I guess the other one I liked maybe musically that, that caught my ear more was the Out on My Own. I thought it had some good the guitar riffs felt more like, yeah, this is Keith Urban. Get in there. Get with the guitar. Do what you do. Um, I guess that would be the only other one that kind of. See, the interesting thing with that song is I like it, but it doesn't really. And maybe this isn't a fair criticism, but it doesn't really have a chorus. Like the chorus is literally two lines. It's, it's yeah. There are some songs where it's just like it's just a bunch of verses and like, that's just what it is. Like that's right. And that's yeah, there's not of, really a hook to it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, I don't know, maybe sometimes you say stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. So. Not, not that, no, <laughs> I, I have in my notes here. I'm like, I like it, but there's not really a chorus that just the two lines. Like that's my only critique. But at the same time, I think sometimes if you're writing a song and you, you don't want to force lyrics and force a chorus necessarily either. So um, let's see here. Hidden gems. I actually have, it's a love thing listed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you made a good point. I think there's, there's a lot, there's a lot in here that are like, it's solid, good listening. And I think that's what I said earlier is like, if you shuffle all the Keith urban songs and one of these comes on, it's not going to like scratch to a halt and be like, well, wait, this is Keith Urban. You're going to be like, okay. Like it sounds like a Keith Urban song. There's, there's not, maybe not like a wow factor. Uh, Do you think so? I don't, I don't get that. I listen to these songs. I'm like, it, it's not Keith. <laughs> this isn't it. This obviously is the reason he went a different direction. Okay. Well maybe, maybe next time we're together, I'm going to play you like 12 Keith Urban songs in a row. Okay. Not hits, not hits, and I'm just gonna yeah. see you can know right. that, you know where they are. That's all. I, I think if you were if you were to say, I don't even want to say it because one of my machines, whether it's Google, Amazon, or Siri, is probably gonna hear it and start playing. But if you were to say, "Hey, technology, play Keith Urban," and it was like shuffled, I don't know. I I don't think you'd you'd notice. No. Hmm. I think of- I would, but all right fair uh the the two for me were um i want to be your man it's like a fun up tempo it would have been my if there was going to be a fifth single that would have been my choice i guess and then uh a little luck of our own another one that i thought could have been a single so those are my two if you're going to listen to the others like i check those out but again i did enjoy the the accordion 
on I Want to Be Your Man Forever. That was a nice yeah. touch. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you want to do some polka dancing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And I mean, a lot of these are like mid tempos and they might not sound like the Keith, the high energy Keith, but like he, he's able to find that sweet spot too. So anyhow. Yeah. But I feel like some of his later songs that are mid tempo are better. Yeah. Like, would you say sweet things mid tempo or, um, yeah, up tempo. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Mid tempo, up tempo, low tempo. I'm not, I'm not a musician. Maybe maybe mid up tempo. Get your um, metronome out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Uh, so, how do you play Matchmaker for Keith Urban? Because I honestly, I I struggled with this one to be honest. Like whether it's the songs or figuring out who, like who'd be good covering. Keith Urban song on this album or any Keith Urban song. It's just, I don't know. I was struggling. I was, and then I didn't. So I basically just did the four singles is who I played matchmaker for. Actually, I did do another one. The last song on the album, I thought you knew. I got a lot of Mark Wills vibes from. Oh, oh. That, but I think I might. You're going backwards with one of them. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But, so maybe it's just because of um cop car but i thought sam hunt would do some fun things to some of these songs so i put him on where the blacktop ends i can kind of see him like either slowing it down even like a notch more and getting a little more blues vibe in there um but for the grace of god i just hear like a deep baritone so i thought either scotty mccreary or michael ray would be great on that song it's a love thing. It was so country. Like John party was the only one I could really throw in there and be like, yeah, he'll do great with this. Um, and then you're everything. Cody Johnson. Cause I love him. Ooh. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. So I thought of him, but then you're everything also during the course, especially you can hear more harmonies like his background singers so, of course, I said, well, Charles Kelly would probably sound good. We'll put Hillary to back him up. But then, of course, you know, God bless our CMA Entertainer of the Year, Eric Church, and his backup singer, Joanna Cotton, I think, could also do some cool things with the song. Interesting. So. I like it. That was. Thanks. The the Cody Johnson one. Didn't think of it, but. Yeah, I think yeah. that. In a weird way, that might actually work for a bunch of his stuff, I feel like. Huh. Mm-hmm. Especially this album, again, because I just think some of the songs are more country-sounding than what's to come from Keith Urban. Yeah. I think, and I, I thought of, you know, Parker McCollum or, or a lot of different Texas artists, Granger, um, you know, anyone. I, I don't know, for some reason, the voice, I think, would match a lot of the songs. Interesting. Um, I'm not even going to try to match like an artist to a song. Uh, like, oh, you come on. so I only, I did matchmaker for the, for, like two of my hidden gems. Um, but I didn't even think of doing for the actual singles, but I'm going to from now on. <laughs> Genius. Uh, you mentioned like the, the deep baritone voice. Yeah. Uh, I had Chris Young on, I want to be oh. your man. 
Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Tempo, but I'm like, that could fit. And then a little luck of our own, if that was going to be a single. The other, like Mitchell Tenpenny, mm-hmm. Mitchell Sam Hunt could do some stuff to a song. I feel like Mitchell can do some stuff, different stuff. To yeah. Well, uh, so Mitchell or I kept, you kept hearing Keith Urban's higher register off. Yeah. And I'm like, Shay, Dan and Shay, like, what? You can sing anything, basically. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. So I'm like, you know, they could sing a lot of Keith Urban stuff today. I'm like, this one I'd be curious about. That was the only other. Yeah. You know, the other one, um, I don't know. You, you, I run through the list of like, what would Thomas Rhett sound like? What would Chris Lane or Jordan? Right. Like, does Morgan Wallen fit? I don't know. There wasn't, this was a tough one for me. Yeah. I, I don't know. For some reason, the whole the Sam Hunt thing just really got to me just because I've heard his version of Cop Car and then what Keith turned it into. So I think in some ways, maybe not so much on this album, but where Keith is now his musical styles aren't as far gone as Sam Hunt's. Like, I feel like they have more similarities than not. Um, But you're right. It's hard to kind of imagine anyone else singing a Keith Urban song. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got his own, he's got his own lane. I don't know. He does. Yeah. He's not Tim McGraw. He's not Kenny and you know, he's not Brad. Right. I mean, cause Keith, he has, you know, Kenny Chesney's like the the summer vibes, but Keith Urban has a lot of them too, but they're not as beachy. They're more right. groovy. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it's not it's not the the beachy summer, it's the groovy. Right. Summer. Yeah, you don't feel like you're in a tiki hut. You just feel like, oh, the weather's nice outside and I'll sit out on my deck. Right. I'm I'm picturing a bunch of teenagers rocking out on the beach. That's about it. All right. Kenny Chesney, it's like, you know, just just enjoying, you know, the beach with a drink in my hand. Yeah. Sitting in that chair with blue chair. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. All right. Now Uh the tough part begins. Okay. The metal stand. Where Uh, where does this album make the metal stand? It didn't for me, but then trying to sort out this metal stand is hard. It is hard. I feel pretty confident in mine. I do. Um, it's hard because I feel a lot of them should be tied, <laughs> which I yeah. know isn't like fair, but this, this album, sorry, did not make my metal stand. I don't know if it even qualified for the Olympics, but anyways, um, I know, I know really good hits on here. Yeah. But of all the singles, if you want to go there, I wouldn't pick these over the other singles. Anyways, great. I'll just throw these out there. Make of it what you will. My favorite Keith Urban album is be here. Okay. Okay. Get closer. Mm. And then, Fuse. Okay. Fuse is so good. And it came out during Bro Country, that kind of timing. And it was so much better than anything the Bro Country came out with. So your your number one was Be Here. Be here. Get closer. I think I had the album. I think I had the CD. 
Or you had it and I stole it. I, I don't. Maybe not. I think I did no. as much as I would love to, I don't know, blame you for stealing something. I don't. Um, I don't believe so. So, okay, let's talk just the singles here. So, yeah. I mean, days go by, better life, making memories of us. You're my better half. Tonight I want to cry. I yeah. think those are the only ones. But then, like, some of the hidden gems, like, She's Gotta Be. You're listening to that one. That's a good song. And I just, I think so this is his third album, technically, because it was uh, Keith Urban self titled. Golden Road and then Be Here. And I feel Be Here solidified him that he's probably going to be sticking around and yeah. be successful. Yeah. For, for me, I, we have two out of the three same. And not, okay. just, not, not order, but like two out of three albums. Like uh, the debate, I had the debate between for gold, it was between Be Here and Fuse. Like, okay. Yep. And it, it was like one of those debates of like, okay, Fuse is one of his more recent ones, 2013, you know, it's, you know, talking 10 years after some of these other albums. And I'm like, right. Am I prisoner of the moment? Like, is it just cause these songs are too like fresh in my head, you know? Um, but then like you said, be here. I think you made a good point. It's like, that was, that was his official, like, I'm here. I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be legit. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, I gave the edge to Fuse. Just Did you? I, I feel like yeah. I like the I like the sound and the singles a little bit better, but yeah. And I just think it was his f- first album in a few years. I think three years or so between albums when Fuse came out, and it was it was right in the middle of of Bro Country and FGL kind of hitting it and TR. And this it's not Bro Country. It's just and first of all, We Were Us was my jam. I love that song. Probably going to be one of my top songs of all time when it comes down to it. I love We Were Us. What does when it comes down to it mean? <laughs> when I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> when someone's like, I don't know, you have to tell me your top songs of all time. Otherwise, you're over the edge, Missy. That's actually so a many. great idea. Maybe <laughs> whenever, it's, whenever it's that time, in my will, I'm going to write a list of my top 20 songs and then I'm going to ask at the service, the, you know, the the casket opens, like the list is there. So like, as people are, you know, paying their respects to me, they can also be like, huh, interesting. Or great song selection. Interesting. I just That's thought of that. A thought. Very weird. <laughs> uh, the, for my bronze, I had to find gravity, which came out, I think. a year. Oh before. yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's good. I think it came about a year before Get Closer. There's some, mm-hmm. yeah, he was cranking them up for a while. So, right. That that one had songs like Sweet Thing, Kiss a Girl, um, I'm In. So, yeah. Oh, I think- and he puts out good music. And I thought of like even like Love Pain and the whole crazy thing. It was a good yeah. album too. Um, Stupid Boy. I mean, so good. Yeah. So it's hard to pick, but sometimes you just got to be like, oh, okay, as a whole, what album really? So good. I was actually surprised we had yeah. two or three. Well done. Wow, that works. Weird, I, I know. 
I'll say something offensive. Don't worry. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Always time for that. You'll probably say it here with our, our final parting thoughts. I know. All right. Yes. We, we kind of disagree a little bit about it. So what would you, how would you sum up the album in your thoughts? I would probably say underwhelming. Hmm. It's, it's nothing special. I don't think, although the singles that they chose were good. And I think maybe that was maybe by design. I think maybe all the other songs they didn't see having success. And I mean, of the, the four singles, they were all top 20 songs. Yeah. Three of which were top five, which is impressive. So I just think it's, it's hard because it's not the Keith Urban that we know today. It doesn't sound anything like him. I don't think. Yeah. And that, I think that's, yeah, where we'll disagree because I, I think you could drop some of these songs on his current album and maybe, you know, change a little bit of the production. And I don't think it would stick out as drastically as other artists and their first album to their sound nowadays. Um, I don't know. He, he has this timeless sound to him. There's, I don't know. There's, for me, that's just kind of my takeaway is like, I don't know. I think you can play, play these songs and mix them, mix them up with the others and it'll fit, but this is where we, this is where we disagree. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I guess I always think of, of course, my guy, Eric Church, and I feel he's yeah. one where you can literally hear any song from any album and it, it just sounds uh, seamless for this. Just some of these songs kind of stop me in my tracks, like Ugh, hit a rut. This isn't, this isn't what we no. So I guess when I compare those two, that's where I'm getting my, my thought process from. Okay. Fair. <laughs> we'll allow it for now. We'll, Gee, thanks. We'll, let, we'll let the listeners uh, be the judge and jury of uh, the sound of this one. Um, but yeah. In a criminal justice system. No, I'm kidding. Uh, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this was, I think it was our first uh, Keith Urban centered podcast, uh, even going to video vaults. I don't think we've done him there yet, mm-hmm. but, um, props to none of us for putting out an Australian accent. I really yeah, kind of thought yeah, that was yeah. coming at some point, but yeah, good job us. We haven't offended anyone. That's no. uh, well, not that we <laughs> All righty, mate. No. <laughs> uh, there we go. Uh, Alyssa Fawn, Emily, you get the next album. So I'm curious to see what you pick. You might already have some tricks up your sleeve, but uh, it's gonna be the it's gonna be the Morgan Wallen thirty song. <laughs> okay, can we, can we talk about that for a second? Absolutely. <laughs> My two questions: A, how do you even <laughs> listen to thirty songs, and then B, how do you even try to critique or try to figure out thirty songs? That's three albums. I don't know. I'm taking the day off of work to figure it out. Three albums. 30 it's amazing. Songs. It's so amazing. I am so excited. I pfft, blows my mind. Part of me, yeah. part of me wonders if it's a, if it's like a, a streaming strategy where it's Maybe. like, there's 30 songs here and everyone's going to like their own 10, like a lot. You might like the 20 others, but like there's 10 that you're going to be like over the hill for. Yeah. Or the moon, whatever. But over the hill for. (laughs) 30 is just so many. It is. Yeah. It's 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 like two hours of songs. More than that. It's great in theory. 
I'm just a little, I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little worried. I'm not. I think he's riding this wave and he is just going for it. And I think this is what the fans want too, because he's been dropping so many songs on Instagram or, you know, this cut, this cut and people, he's got a following. So I think they're just going to grab it and go for it. And if Shania could have 11 singles off one album, what, you're going to have like 25 off this one? I, I think for me, as long as the songs don't all sound alike, because for instance, when Jason Aldean releases albums, he oh puts, yeah, that's fifteen or sixteen songs, and they, they all, they're great songs, but they all kind of sound alike after a while. That's my that's my only concern. Right. You hit play, and two hours later, you're like, I'm I've been listening to the same song for two hours. Right, right, yeah, and I mean, by the time it gets released in January. Well, we know, I think at least three of the songs have been released now. I'm sure he'll have another two out by that time. So it's only 25 more songs you'll really have to learn. I think he has one coming out. We're recording this. What's today? November 19th. I think he has one coming out tonight. Early, early With tomorrow. that Ernest guy? Ernest, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so whatever. You know, he could... Part of me is like, just release one new song every week for the next... 30 weeks that'd be awesome but the selfish part of me is like give me them all at one time (laughs) yeah i'm sure we'll see someone do that at some point one a week for yeah however many weeks but that's a good we'll we'll make that a podcast when it comes out sounds good the album collection or the main raise on it but for sure sounds good to me Cool. Well, for Emily, this is Aaron. This is the Album Collection on the Phrase Down Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, like, rate, all those good things. Find us on phrasedownablog.com and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Bye.